Colossians 4, 2 through 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning uh, to all of you who are here with us. And if you are uh, visiting with us this morning, uh, we're so glad to have you. I want to introduce myself. My name is Alan Michael Sprinkle. I am the uh, children's and college pastor here at Grace. Yes, children, kindergarten through fifth grade, and then college. I skipped the middle school and high school years on purpose. So... I'm just playing. Uh, but it's so good to see you guys. It's so good to have everyone here. Uh, this morning, we're, we're doing a sermon series on prayer right now. And man, what a series it has been so far. Uh, Jerry has done a fantastic job of bringing the word these past few weeks. And I'm so thankful and humbled to be able to bring to you a message uh, today. And this morning, I actually want to talk about you. What is your reason for being here this morning? Some of you may uh, enjoy the worship style. Maybe some of you really enjoy the preaching. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, so and that's okay. And so, and some of you, you know, you may be in a tough spot in life. And, uh, and this morning you're here because uh, you're looking for hope. You're looking for hope in a dark place that you might find yourself in. And these are not bad reasons to be at church. They are good reasons to be here. But I also now want to move away from the reasons you are here and ask you the question, what is your role on a Sunday morning? What is your role this Sunday morning. I think it's a common belief uh, to think that uh, it is your role or is my role as the pastor to preach the sermon. It's the band's role uh, to lead us in music. For those who are in the sound booth, uh, it is their job to adjust the sound and uh, work the slides back here. For the preschool volunteers, uh, it is their job to teach the the preschool age kids. For those in kids worship, it's their job to be with the kids next door. And maybe for you guys, your role is to, to sit here and listen to soak it in, to take notes maybe, to just enjoy worship. Now, as I said, this, this is not bad, but what if, what if I told you that was actually not your role? What if I told you that your role on a Sunday morning could have a much bigger impact, an eternal impact? Your role is much bigger than just sitting here and soaking up sermons. And... Uh, I want to talk about Charles Spurgeon for just a second. Charles Spurgeon was 19 years old when he first uh, uh, started pastoring at a church. This was a church of about 230 people. And he actually told them, he said, I want a three-month probation period just in case you all don't want me. And so there were 80 people to hear Charles Spurgeon's first sermon at this church. 80 people. Within 10 months, the congregation grew so large they had to move out of the place they were in. Not even a year. Within three years, Charles Spurgeon found himself preaching to more than 10,000 people on any given Sunday. In his first decade of ministry, there were 3,469 baptisms. Within his 38-year pastorate, he added over 14,000 members to his church. It wasn't uncommon for Spurgeon to tell his church members to not come to church next week because there are so many people who want to hear the gospel. Spurgeon found himself almost preaching 10 times a week. 
That is a lot. Somebody asked Mr. Spurgeon, they said, Mr. Spurgeon, what is your secret? And his answer in this moment was very simple. He said, my people, they pray for me. And I'm gonna, he answered this at a later time too, and I'm going to explain and talk about what he said later, but it's clear that he is not saying that the prayers of his people influenced his success, but it was the success of the church that the prayers of his people affected. And so this morning we're gonna be in Colossians chapter four and we see Paul requesting prayer from the church in Colossae. And this morning we're gonna find out through scripture what our role as a church, not just the congregation, not just all of us up here on stage, not just the volunteers who are working right now, but all of us as a church body, what our role is on any given Sunday and throughout our prayer life. And that is that we pray for the church. The church prays for the church. You see, Paul is uh, right now writing from an odd place. He's in prison in Rome, but it's actually not prison as we think of prison, like metal bars and you get one hour of yard time. He's actually in house arrest. Get this, he is fronting his own bill for rent with a centurion guard on the outside, not letting him out. That stinks. But prison wasn't stopping Paul from, from pursuing his mission which was supposed to proclaim the gospel. And while he was in prison in Rome, he actually wrote the books, Ephesians, Colossians, uh, Philippians, and Philemon. Three books of the New Testament written while he was in prison. Well, why was he in prison, you might ask? For sharing the gospel. That's why. He left the place called Ephesus to go see James in Jerusalem. And he walked into the temple and he had some of his Greek friends with him. And this was a really big no-no. And so they arrested him. As a matter of fact, they arrested him and then they confused him, get this, with an Egyptian man who led assassins into the wilderness. That's a pretty big mix up. A Jew preaching the gospel versus an Egyptian who led assassins. So Paul wanted to explain to them who he was. So they took him to the Roman Tribune. They took him to the council. They took him to Felix, the governor, then to Caesar, then to Agrippa. Until finally they decided we're gonna send this man to Rome He's going to be in house arrest with a centurion guard. So they put him on a boat. They sent him with some bumps along the way. One of those being that their ship wrecked, finally made it to Rome. And that's where we're at now in Colossians 4. And so he just finished talking about in chapter 3, putting on the new self, what the Christian life is supposed to look like. And so now he's going to give them further instructions. This is what he said in Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly uh, in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. He says here, continue steadfastly. The, the Greek here used is used in the book of Acts when it says that they were devoted to. Paul is asking them to be devoted to prayer. Not just do it once in, once in a while, but to be devoted to it. Regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your situation, continue in it no matter what. So yesterday, uh, I did the bear crawl. And Kevin and Lee are here. They're the ones who designed the bear crawl. Uh, thank you. Um, because I'm so sore, I can't feel my legs right now. Uh, but the Bear Crawl is a five-mile obstacle course race that consists of wading through mud, jumping over logs, carrying logs, carrying concrete slabs, um, swimming. I mean, it, it's all this stuff. And man, it was, it was difficult. And so we had a group from Grace uh, that we, we worked as a team together. And there were times in this, in this race where I was like, I'm done. 
Like I'm finished. I cannot do it anymore. Like I was ready to just call it quits. If I wasn't two and a half miles away from my car, I would have gotten in my car. But there were times where I was like, I was like, man, I could easily stop right now. But we were working as a team. And, and, and so when one of us fell behind, we all fell behind. When, uh, when one of us couldn't complete an obstacle, then we all helped each other. We became devoted to the idea that we were going to finish this race regardless of what was happening, regardless of how we felt, regardless of the pain, regardless of the challenge that lied in front of us, we were going to finish. Paul says, be this way with prayer. Regardless of your circumstance, regardless of your situation, regardless, regardless of how bad it's hurting, be steadfast, continue, be devoted to prayer. See, prayer is not an option of the church. In fact, it is a necessity and it should be around through and in everything that we do as a church. And Paul knew the importance of prayer and he tells them, he tells them to be watchful and this is probably alluding to, to Jesus when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, the night that he was betrayed and they were praying in the garden of Gethsemane and his disciples were falling asleep. And this is what Jesus told them. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what was he saying here? Be alert, pay attention, be aware of what's happening around you. Be sensitive to what's going on and be sensitive to the spirit. Why? Because you can fall into temptation. Temptation strikes when you are not paying attention. So be aware, be alert of what is happening around you. And then he says, do it with thanksgiving. So remember where Paul is right now, okay? So Paul has been beaten. Uh, he has been mocked. He has been shipwrecked. He is now in house arrest with a centurion guard outside of his gate. And he tells them to be thankful. Well, Paul, why? How can you be thankful in this moment? And that's because the gospel has transformed Paul so much that he is thankful in all the circumstances that he finds himself in. And we'll see that here a little bit later. And so after, after he gives instruction on how you should pray to continue steadfastly in prayer, to be watchful and have uh, thanksgiving in your prayer, then he requests prayer. He asks for prayer next. This is what he says in verses three and four. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. He says, while you are continuously steadfast in prayer, being watchful with thanksgiving, I want you to pray for us. Now the us he's referring to is probably the list of names he mentions in verse seven through 17, but he's saying those who are, who, are, who are doing ministry, pray for us who are a part of the church out spreading the gospel. I want you to pray for us. And he asked for three specific topics that we're gonna discuss this morning. Three specific topics that he's requesting prayer for. And the first is that God would open a door. For God to open a door. So there was a, uh, there was a game show a long time ago, and please understand, I say that loosely, a long time ago. It was called Let's Make a Deal. Does anybody remember that game show? Let's Make a Deal. I think it made a comeback recently, but I didn't really watch it. Um, but I watched some of the old ones. And uh, what Monty Hall was the original host of this show. And so what Monty Hall would do is he would call a contestant to come forward. There would be three doors in front of him, and they got to choose one of the three doors. Now, behind one of the doors 
was the grand prize. It was like the brand new car. It was what everybody wanted. It was smooth. It was red. It was a convertible. Everybody wanted that. Now behind the other two doors were like gag gifts, if you will, like goats, okay? So I want to make, I want to make clear, if you have goats, that's okay. I'm just saying, if I could choose between goats and a brand new red convertible, there's not really any competition. And so behind the other two doors were these goats or other, some other kind of gag gift that wasn't good. So obviously if you pick the car, then that's something that's very advantageous to you. You get to go home with a brand new car and you get to look fly doing it. But if you pick a goat, I truly believe that's a disadvantage because now you got to take care of a goat when you could have had a car. That's a disadvantage. So, so obviously if you, had, if you were to pick the car, that would be advantageous to you. But see, Paul, when he was requesting prayer for God to open a door, he was not concerned with the prayers being at any advantage to him. When he said, pray for God to open a door, he was not saying for God to open the door of my prison cell so that I may get out. He was saying, I want you to pray that God would open a door for ministry, for the word to be preached. Paul was being selfless in this. He was not saying that this needs to help me at all, but it needs to be for the advancement of the gospel. So what did he mean? Well, if you read at the end of the book of Acts, his, their prayers are actually answered. At the end of the book of Acts, uh, Acts uh, chapter 28, verses 30 through 31, Paul is still in prison in Rome while Luke is writing this. And this is what he said. He lived there two whole years at his own expense, this being Paul in prison and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, Paul wasn't gonna let his current circumstance of being in prison stop the gospel from being shared. Although he couldn't get out, they couldn't stop people from coming in and he was still gonna preach them the gospel. So while the Colossians were praying this prayer for God to open doors, they were opening doors for the people to hear what Paul had to say. That's awesome. The prayers were answered. He was not going to let his circumstance put out the flame that he wanted to spread. He actually told the Philippians that what has happened to him has actually helped advance the gospel. His imprisonment actually opened up opportunities that might not have otherwise happened. This is a huge time in our world, in our culture, to ask God to open doors. Um, If you look at the statistics, the fastest growing religion in the world right now is Islam. And they've done projections to year 2050. And by the year 2050, Islam will spread across the world if it continues to spread as fast as it is by 73%. In that same time frame, Christianity will spread 35%. John Dickerson, uh, who wrote the book, The Great Evangelical Recession, um, did a research uh, group back in 2011. And he wanted to see what, what the actual number of evangelical Christians in America, in America was. So he pulled four different research groups together. And this was a mixture between Christian and non-Christian groups. And they, owned it, they all did their own research method. They all did it separately. And so if you look online at one of these sites, it'll tell you that the evangelical church in America is probably 25 to 35% of the American population. When they came back together, brought all of their information back together, Collectively, they all were in the same realm that the, the evangelical church in America, the actual number percentage was seven to nine percent. What this is saying is that there is an ever-growing culture that needs to hear truth. 
There needs to be a door opened so that they can hear truth. So we pray and we pray for God to open doors for the church to reach these people. And I'm so happy to say that God has opened up opportunities here at Grace to reach people. I'm just thinking about the summer that we're about to go through. Tomorrow we're taking 45 people to Centricid and it's gonna be so much fun. We have seven summer camps that happen uh, on, on and this, uh, very, uh, this very turf right here at Grace. And we get to reach so many kids for the gospel. The youth are holding seven kids clubs all over the county, playing games, teaching these kids the gospel. Adrian has taken over 100 people to Caswell in July this year. That's a lot of people. At the end of July, early August, we'll have kids camp and there'll be over 275 children in this very room right now. This is not a chance for us to brag on grace at all. This is a chance to brag on God. You see, God is the one who has opened up these doors. God is the one who has opened up these opportunities to reach children and youth all over this community. You see, we cannot open these doors on our own. It has to be in God. And so we plead with him. We plead for the Holy Spirit to intervene and open up doors for the church. Paul is requesting uh, prayers from his brothers and sisters for God to open up doors and also for the second topic so that the gospel can be shared. We want the doors to be open so that the gospel can be shared. This is what he says uh, again in verse three, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. The word mystery is a term that Paul likes to use a lot. And this refers to something that was hidden in the Old Testament, but is now revealed in the New Testament. And that mystery is God's purpose to reconcile the world through Christ and to welcome Gentiles in him. But this mystery did not go without some pushback. It led to some hostility, which led to Paul's current situation. You see, Paul's commitment to the gospel put him in chains. You see, Paul believed that the the mystery was more likely to open the door to prison than to bring financial and social success. So we pray for God to open the door to spread the gospel. But first, before the gospel can be shared, a door has to be open, not a physical one, but spiritual. But why is it so important to Paul? Why why is it so important for this to go? Because this, this has actually put him in prison. This has sacrificed a successful life that Paul had before this. It's important because the gospel is transformational. It completely transformed his life. It was a revelation of huge proportions back then and it is today. It was radically changing lives and the culture. And why do we understand the importance? Because we still see the impact of the gospel today. Guys, the gospel has never lost its power and it never will. Paul knew that the gospel would transform lives and he knew that it was God who provides the doors to be open. The power of the gospel lies with God. And Romans 1.16 says this, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. See, the gospel is timeless and it can be applied to all. And it's so common for us to say this and, and for many people it's not enough, but oftentimes we say, you know, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for you, which is so true. He did. But in my time of talking with people, I always say that and they're always like, well, why? I didn't ask him to die for me. Why does he need to die for me? 
And so in order to explain the love of God to this person, we got to go back to the beginning. God created the heavens. He created the earth. Then he created a man in his own image. Made us perfect. But we messed up. We sinned for the first time, causing separation between man and God. Because of that sin, we got a punishment. And that was death. For years and years and years, God's people turned away from him, came back. Turned away from him, came back. Turned away from him, came back. Salvation was always based on how well you kept the law, how good of a person you were. No matter how many animal sacrifices that they made, they were never fully cleansed. They were never fully justified. Never fully forgiven. The sacrifices weren't enough. God, being tired of being away from his children, did the unthinkable. He sent his son Jesus to earth. A Lord born in a manger, a king who worked as a carpenter, performed miracles, reached the outcasts to tell them how much he loved them, had 12 disciples, one betrayed him. He was beaten, he was mocked, he was tortured, put a crown of thorns on his head, and they hung him on a cross to die. Why? For you, for me. That punishment, that death, that Jesus died was mine. That was my punishment. But because he loved me so much, he took that from me. He was the only sacrifice that could fully forgive and cleanse us of our sins. The only one. That's the gospel. That's powerful. And guys, it's good news. We want that to be shared. We want to pray for God to open these doors so that this can be shared. So we pray. The church prays for the church. So the final topic that, that Paul requests from the church in Colossae was the only request that was actually made for him specifically, and it was that he would speak clearly. That he would speak clearly. He says that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. And in Paul's context, this was, this was extremely important. He often had to contextualize the gospel so that the people in their current situations could understand what was being taught, what was being said. In Acts chapter 17, he, found, he finds himself in Athens. And he's speaking to a group of philosophers, very lofty-minded thinkers, very smart intellectual people. And instead of just coming up to them and saying, hey, Jesus died for you, Jesus died for you, he had to appeal to their intellect. So, so he tried to explain God as this huge, this huge deity who didn't need to be served by men. And that was his way to preach the gospel. This attempt was rather unsuccessful though. Some people wanted to hear more. Most of the people mocked him. So after this, he goes to Corinth. Probably down and out, but this didn't work. So he goes to Corinth and he, he tells them, he's like, I, I'm not, I'm not going to learn anything about you. 
I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to, to make it make sense to you. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna preach Jesus and I'm gonna preach Jesus crucified. This is what he says in First uh, Corinthians chapter two. He says, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul decided that he was not gonna be overly theological with these people. He was just gonna to preach Jesus Christ, preach the gospel and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. So before I, I got my job here at Grace, I was a youth pastor in Knoxville. I graduated from Montreat College in 2013. I did my internship here at Grace through that summer. And then I moved back to Tennessee, uh, which is where I'm originally from and was a youth pastor at church. Now, fresh out of college, my head was in the clouds. I could remember all these deep theological debates I had in class and that it molded me into the spiritual champion that I am today. And I was ready to take this to the youth group, these middle schoolers and high schoolers. I knew what I was gonna do. By the time they graduated high school, they were gonna have a bachelor's in theology, thanks to me. That's exactly what I was gonna do. So I had this mindset that I was gonna go in there and I was gonna teach them all the different beliefs, the beliefs of communion, all the doctrines of God, that we were gonna have ever so stressful debates on predestination and free will. This was gonna happen and they were all gonna be smart and it was gonna be because of me. That was my goal. That was my mindset. And so I remember my very first Sunday coming to preach to these youth. They were so excited to have a youth pastor because they hadn't had one in over a year. And I roll in there with, with my head up in the clouds, ready to preach. And you know what my first sermon topic was? Sanctification. Yeah, sanctification. That was, that was what I was gonna preach. The very first Sunday, sanctification. So I did. We were having a good time. We were playing some fun games. We sang some songs. And then, and then all of a sudden I get up there and I say, all right, good morning, guys. I'm so glad to be here this morning. We're gonna talk about sanctification. And all their, all their faces just went blank. Jaws just dropped to the floor. And in that moment, I knew this was a bad idea. <laughs> I'm glad it came to me then and not before. So I remember it was a bad idea because one of the girls, her name was Erica. She raised her hand and she said, Alan Michael, how do you spell that? <laughs> all right, so we're not gonna talk about sanctification this morning. So I decided to change it up. I decided to talk about something else. We went in a completely different direction. Um, but if I would have continued going down this path, I would not have been speaking clearly. They would not have been able to understand what I was saying. Now, in my mind, I would have been able to, to, to clearly explain it the best way I could, but, but that's, that wasn't the goal. It's not to make them smart. It's to help them understand the gospel. I'll take them not understanding sanctification all day if at the end of that same day, they understand the gospel. Because without the gospel, sanctification is null and void. It can't happen without the gospel. Clarity is so important. And it's this misunderstanding that, that one truth can be spoken to everyone and everyone will understand and believe that same truth. The parable of the sower debunks this theory. For he says that there's a sower and he has seed and he, and he, and he puts it out on four different types of soil. One of them is the path and the birds come and they, they eat the seeds before they can even grow. One, another type of soil is, is rocky soil that, that they throw the seeds on and they begin to grow, but they can't grow because they have no room for their roots. The rocks have taken up all the soil. Another type of ground is thorns. 
The seed begins to grow and, and it grows in the thorns, but then the, the thorns just begin to overtake it, ended up killing it. But then the fourth ground is good ground. The seed is able to sprout and it is able to grow. You see, it has to be spoken with clarity. But even then, not everyone will understand. But some will. Clarity is so important. And I think of... I've been racking my brain, my brain about around this, but there's one person in my mind who I can just see understood the gospel and, is, and it has, ever since then has changed his life about eight months ago, a man named Tim Velez uh, accepted Christ. And it was, oh my goodness. I've never seen someone make such a drastic turnaround. If you, someone who was dead in their sin, living for themselves, and they were just, uh, they were going down their own destructive path, but then the gospel transformed this man's heart so much that in eight months, this dude has become the new evangelist, like better than Billy Graham evangelist. Like he is going around sharing the gospel to everybody. And I love to see that. I love to see someone who the gospel was presented so clearly they were able to understand it. And now it is, it is renewed a flame in them that they can't stop spreading the gospel. And see, some of you may have sat in this room and you've come in here and you've, you're looking for hope. You're looking for the gospel to understand. You're looking for, 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 for that clarity. And some of you, you've received that. Some of you came in here looking for that hope and you got it and you understood it and it transformed you. And that should make us passionate about wanting other people to hear that same gospel. We have to be passionate about this because we pray for what we are passionate about. We must pray for God to open the doors. We must pray that when these doors are open, the gospel will be preached and will be preached with clarity. This is not just a Sunday morning thing. This is, this is throughout the year. This is a continual process that extends from this stage out to you guys, to, to Adrian and youth worship, to kids worship, to food pantry, to lunch bunch, all of them. We must lift all of these ministries up so that the door will be open, the gospel will be preached, and that it will be preached with clarity. Guys, it's God who provides the growth. It's not us. When we plead to him, he'll hear us. So practically, how do you put this into, into play? Well, there's two opportunities right now. If you have your connection cards, you can, you can sign up for your connection cards. One of them is called Power Place. Power Place, there's a group of people who are in a room right now and they are praying for this very service. They are praying for this 930 slot. They're praying for you guys. They're praying for me. They're praying for the band. They're praying for preschool. They're praying for kids worship happening next door. They're praying for all the life groups who meet here during this hour. They're interceding on your behalf, on our behalf. The front lines of spiritual warfare, they're praying right now for you guys. If you wanna be a part of that team, then you can sign up on your connection card today. And you can be here praying, fighting the front lines of spiritual warfare, making sure that the gospel is spoken clearly and that it can be understood Another way that you can sign up on your connection card is Jerry sends out emails every Thursday with prayer requests. If you want to be a part of the team that prays and you get emails at home and you and your family can pray for the needs of the church, the needs of this community, then you can also sign up on your connection card. You can sign up for both. I want to close this now and give you Spurgeon's final response to this question. What is your secret? This is what he says. The sinew of a minister's strength under God is the supplication of his church. We can do anything and everything 
if we have a praying people around us. But when our dear friends and fellow helpers cease to pray, the Holy Ghost hastens to depart. And Ichabod is written on the place of assembly. What can we do without prayers? They link us with the omnipotence of God. Like the lightning rod, they pierce the clouds and bring down the mighty and mysterious power from on high. The Lord give me a dozen importunate pleaders and lovers of souls. And by his grace, we will shake all London from end to end. Church, with our prayers, let us shake McDowell County from end to end. Let's pray.